This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This episode was sponsored by Girls Can Crate, a unique subscription box inspiring girls to believe that they can be and do anything. Real women make the best heroes, and every month, they deliver them to your front door. And by Jill Harrigan, Heather McKinnon, Ellen Gross, Valerie Jacobson, Chantelle Oliver, Jamie Lang, Maria Sanchez, Mandy Booty, Monique Harris-Pixado, Caitlin McTaggart, and Craig Williamson. Thank you so much for being our sponsors. We couldn't do it without you. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Katie. Question. All right. What is a road for? Oh, um, a road driving on. Mm. But then I'm yelling at myself. What about the walking? What about the biking? Road sidewalks are for walking. Okay. Unless you're in the country. <sighs> a road is for travel. <laughs> I had never really thought about this before until this episode. And I got thinking about road building. But I also asked all of our followers on Instagram... I got a whole bunch of delightful answers. Let me give you a a sampling. To travel down. A journey. (laughs) To make driving from place to place easier. Traveling in transportation. Going places. Going somewhere different and going home. The journey. (laughs) To get from one place to another. I like this one. Singing super loud. (laughs) (laughs) Adventure. To get from point A to point B. Getting places safely without getting lost. To go home. Hmm. To connect us to each other. Hmm. So interesting. There's, I never really thought about how there's so many different takes on what a road is. Yeah. But in all of these responses, none of us thought about roads or road building as control. Oh. But that is how it's been presented in Mayan history that building a road is conquest. Well, that's the Romans did it that way. Ah. You don't have to forcibly control people if you can just make it easier to comply than to not comply, right? It's easier for me to travel on the road than to climb the mountains, so I follow the freeway to your house instead of going (laughs) off-roading. Instead of trekking across the Rocky Mountains, yeah. Mm. So all of this is so interesting in the context of American history because, as far as we know, the first person to build a road in the Americas was a Mayan ruler. Her name was Shkawil. Her name? Her (gasps) name. And she ruled in the golden age of Mayan history. So now, with the Maya, we have finally arrived at pyramids, human sacrifice, Mm. giant cities. We're smack in the middle of the Mayan golden age. And one woman is just now emerging from the sources as one of the major players, one of the key rulers who made that Mayan golden age happen. Cool. So her name is Shkawil. In Mayan, it's I-X at the beginning, and that's a prefix, a female prefix for Mm. a ruler. Uh, And in academic literature, you see it spelled Kawil, K-apostrophe A-W-I-I-L. 
Shkawil. 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 Okay. Stanley Gunter, who has written the latest academic analysis, says, quote, When she died, her kingdom was one of the most powerful the Mayan world has ever known. Cool. I'm Katie Nelson. And I'm Olivia Mickle. And this is What's-Her-Name. Fascinating women you've never heard of. So I'd like to take you back to about the year 617. And show you an ancient Mayan city that is so bonkers, (laughs) so impressive, that eccentrics are inclined to give aliens the credit instead of (laughs) (laughs) Shkawil. Our guide is Ezekiel Mai Ascora. Whom I met totally by chance in Coba, Mexico. Fantastic. Like, literally, our paths crossed <laughs> as I was walking down this dirt path. Road. Uh, and he, a road! Oh my gosh. Of course. As I was walking down a road. Your road's path. <laughs> Um, and he's a certified guide there. He is native Maya, and he agreed to show us around and give us the Maya perspective of this ancient site. Cool. And here's what I loved about researching this story. I got one perspective on Shkawil from academic articles, and I just went plowed deep into all of those. But then I also encountered a different take from mainstream media. Mm. And then I got the Mayan stories from Ezekiel, Mm. which were different also. Mm. Once you take all three of those and smoosh them together, you have a very interesting tale. (laughs) So, field trip, we're going to Koba. Middle of the rainforest, deep inland. Here's what you're going to need. A sun hat. You're definitely going to need sunscreen. We're talking like SPF 50. I mean, that's my norm, so. (laughs) Bottled water, sturdy shoes, and a readiness to ride around on a sweet vintage bicycle through the rainforest. Woohoo! Pick your color of bike. They have all the colors. They're so charming. Oh, um, yellow. I'm going with purple, of course. Bug spray. You're also going to need mm. bug spray. Definitely. Not so me. Much. I didn't get bit in Belize. I didn't oh, get bit anywhere. That's not fair. Koba is amazing. It's a little bit harder to access. Mm. So the tourist hordes don't go there. Mm. That's the reason I went to Koba in the first place. (laughs) (laughs) It's 63 square kilometers, maybe bigger. Most of it is yet unexcavated. It's been swallowed up. And so they've only uncovered sites here and there. Mm. And those are connected by roads, (laughs) little paths, dirt paths. And you, it's so far. These sites are so far apart. You need a bike. Cool. <laughs> amazing, amazing, amazing. The tallest pyramid in the Yucatan is there. Wow. And you can climb to the top of it. Cool. But this is What's-Her-Name, and we are here for the quirky, lesser-known <laughs> sites that nobody else cares. Right. Right? So, okay, so where we're going, All right. our main destinations are a group of stelae, so those big stone monuments. Yeah. 
It's called the Makanchak Group. And when we get there, we will find Shkawil's story written in stone. Right, so get on your bike, follow Ezekiel, off we go. <laughs> and just cruise along through this jungle, weaving in and out of tree roots. Awesome. Every once in a while, there's just a random stone monument in the middle of the road. <laughs> Spider monkey overhead. Mm-hmm. And if you get going fast enough, then you can cool off some of the buckets of sweat that is just dripping <laughs> off of your body. <laughs> And you don't know it, Olivia, but as we're biking along here, you're actually on an ancient Mayan road. It's called Sock Bay 9. Ooh. They call the road as Sock Bay in our language, in Maya Yucateco. And you can't tell because most of it is completely overgrown, but it is 65 feet wide. What? So is that, that's like a freeway. Yeah. Wow. so wide. When I learned that, my mind was blown, especially because it's not a freeway. It it comes to a dead end. Wow. And what we do know about that area from excavations is that it appears to be a sacred site. There's no living there. People visit, they leave offerings, and they leave again. Hmm. Oh, look, we're approaching the dead end up there. Park your bike over here. And now we're going to climb this hill bit steep. We're already sweaty. Just go for it. (laughs) And once we get up to the top, an otherworldly place. As soon as you take one step into there, you're like, whoa, what is this? Hmm. It's an elevated area, maybe the size of a football field. Hmm. And scattered all around, half swallowed up by the rainforest, are these stone stelae, these vertical stone monuments carved with Mayan script. These are precious historical sources because we have so little Mayan writing that survives. They did write a lot of books, a lot of codices, Mm. but the Spanish burned most of them. (laughs) And now there's just three left. Ah, the, there is three. It was founded in, in the Maya lands. Uh, one of the codex, they, they, they founded that in Tulum. Now they, this book is located in Dresden, I think. And it's one of the main papyrus in the story of the Mayas. They tried to come back these books in Mexico. But it was very complicated because they said the other countries, they have some documents to can prove they buy those mm. things. And they have also the license with, to have those papyrus in the museums and in libraries. Yeah. So these stones, we just got to analyze the crap out of them to try to extract as much story as we can. Mm. And so uh, archaeologists have been working on it for years and they have made really amazing progress so there's nine different stones around here and they're carved on both sides and there's always a picture of a ruler a huge picture of a ruler in the middle of it taking Mm. up most of the space and then little writing around that person telling their story 
Mm. But the stones, they're carved of limestone. So they mm. are severely eroded. Yeah. Some of them almost illegible except for a piece here and there. I learned the folk tradition from my Kobog guidebook mm. that the Maya for centuries have held these stones as sacred and people were still leaving offerings at these stones. Mm. But the Maya knew them as like unknown lost kings and they believed them to be the guardians of the rainforest turned to stone during the day, but they came alive every night. Mm. So cool. It's interesting because the hieroglyphics, it was all interpreted for different kings, about different dynasties. But over the years, scholars started to say, hey, these aren't nine kings. So this is in like ooh, 2009. Mm. These aren't nine kings. At least four of these are women, they said. <laughs> the latest scholarship, which just came out a couple of years ago, is saying, wait, 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 wait. This isn't four different queens. Mm. This is four different depictions of a single queen. Wow. Gawil. How do we know about her? Well, there is some hieroglyphics, some estelas to talk about her. And they, they say the same information. The, the woman, it's, uh, it's the only one actually in the story of Koba. And you can date the story of her life in those monuments. And so when we put them in chronological order, we can kind of piece together the story of her life from these stones. Cool. Um, I should say, we can never say for sure who this is, but this is the latest, I think, very strong theory. Mm. Okay, so let me take you around. Let's go. Let's visit all four stelae, and we'll go in chronological order, and we will piece together the story of Shkawil and how crazy scary she was and impressive <laughs> <laughs> and powerful. Here's stone number one. March 19th. 623. She is five years old. <laughs> Koba is just emerging. It's just barely becoming a really powerful city. She's actually mm. named after the founder, conqueror of Koba centuries before, was also a woman. <gasps> and her name was Gawil Aja. Yay! And this founding mother story, that is highly unusual if not unique they've never mm. found any other founding mothers anywhere mm. uh, in the mayan world cool okay now come with me over here to the next one highly eroded this one but we can make out the date december 4th 642 mm. and we can make out the bottom of it especially and that's a key part because what you can see she's standing on the back of a person who <laughs> is laying Face down in the mud. Uh. <laughs> and they're clearly wearing a loincloth. It's a man. Wow. <laughs> so they think this is her accession. She just mm. became queen at age 25 and defeated whoever her main rival or her worst enemy was. Yeah. Pretty awesome. Cool. So what does she look like at this point? What are these Mayan queens? How do they dress and stuff? The Have they found any queen's tombs? There is someone, there is a tomb in Chiapas Palenque. Uh, they found it 
one tomb with bones inside, but according to DNA, it was a uh, it was a woman, uh, and they give the name of that woman as the Red Queen, uh, La Reina Roja, right? Yeah. And because the bones of the woman as the red color, and they use it one powder. It's called Cinabrio, and thanks to the Cinabrio. The bones, they survive in many years. Ah. We know the Mayas, they never mummified the bodies. Yeah. They just put some uh, powders as the chemicals. Ah. We know, Cinabrio. Yeah. They painted her bones red. The body. The body. Ah. The body, and yeah. later the bones, they took the red color. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So do they think that they painted their body red all the time? Yeah. If they are warriors, they have another color. They like to paint the body yeah. with different colors. If they are um, king, they have also another kind oh. of color. Like color-coded people. Right. Wow. Right. They color-coded people. Wow. <laughs> so cool. Wow. <laughs> By just putting different chemicals and dyes on their skin. Wow. So she probably had red skin also. Huh. And we know a lot about what she was wearing. They used dresses. It was made with cotton. Oh. Yeah. How? They, they, they had the technique first to make uh, clothes. Oh. Really. Cotton was growing here? Part of this land, yes. Wow. Yucatan. Oh. Yucatan. And they used the skin of the animals as the decorations also. Mm. Jaguar, deer. We know in the classical period, the jaguar was very important. It was one of the sacred animals in the place. And not all the people they can have a skin of the, the, the jaguar as a dress. Mm -hmm. It was like an honor to have one of those. Mm -hmm. And I guess because the jaguar has like the color of the forest, the camouflage. Oh. That's why when they see it, it's going very fast and it looks like a spirit of the jungle. Ah. Feathers mm. and of course, with seeds, some uh, earrings, how do you say? Mm -hmm. Necklace, bracelets, ornamental. Okay, next. This one has an interesting altar in front of it, and they found fragments of human bones Ooh. near this altar. But this stila is interesting because she's on the back of it, and a man is on the front of it. Hmm. And it's dated... August 21st, 662. Hmm. We don't know. Don't We can't read enough about it to know. Right. But Ezekiel told me that they think... And story, uh, her his, husband, um, husband I mean, died, king, who's died in the wars war. with their arch nemesis, uh, Kalakmul. Hmm. And she decided to take the control of the city. Chalakmul hmm. is super powerful and it was ruled by the snake kings they mm. called them and so obviously they're the bad guys right yeah they're the snake rulers so they used to say oh Shkuil, she probably is like a daughter of the snake king she's probably associated with them in some way and that's how she <laughs> came to power but lately stanley gunter has pretty solidly argued against that and uh, it looks like they were enemies so her husband was killed in the war with these snake kings mm. and what we know about the snake kings is it's a highly gendered world incredibly male dominant so mm. i just love the idea <laughs> that you got koba and his powerful women going up against chalakmul and it's snake kings yeah <laughs>
But then her husband died. Uh-oh. <laughs> Dang. And they've actually found a couple of warrior burials in Chalakmul that are labeled He of Kobah. pause for a second to thank our sponsor, Girls Can Crate. It really is the perfect time to start a subscription to Girls Can Crate. Every month, they'll deliver a brand new real-life Shiro to your front door, introducing kids to a fascinating woman who changed the world, complete with a gorgeous 28-page activity book, all the materials for two to three STEAM activities like experiments, art projects, and more. Girls Can Crate is a lifesaver for anyone trying to homeschool, hybrid school, or just entertain their kids, and it's a wonderful educational surprise for any kid from ages 5 to 10. For busy families, they have digital subscriptions and mini crates too. Check them out now at girlscancrate.com and use the coupon code HERNAME, all one word, to get 20% off your first month's crate. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So by this point, whatever happened in this monument with her and this man, Koba, it is a major player. It's even bigger than Chichen Itza at this point. Mm. And she is in there. Like, she is a power player. And Stanley Gunter says, She held court over some of the most ambitious and innovative scribes in the Mayan world. Ooh. You, can, you can tell in the sophistication of the scribes writing that this is an intellectual center, Koba. Because Mayan writing, that is no simple task. Phonetic, pictographic, and syllabic. Today we have around 26, 27 letters in our alphabet. But in the time of the Mayas, it was more than 300. Very complicated. And had, they have a group of peoples. They have the knowledge. So not all the peoples, they had that knowledge. Uh-huh. Just the peoples. Uh, such as the upper class people, the priests, they have that information. Yeah. Did they keep it secret? Like yes. Nobody's allowed to yes. learn. Yes. Wow. Yes. Uh, there is one, he, and his work here in Coba. His name is Renato Cotini. Oh. And this person, he, he tried to traduce all the Maya symbols in Spanish. Now Are you still here. He's, he's living in Cancun today. Oh. Yeah, so and thanks to the job of those people, now it's possible to translate the symbols Spanish. And for us, that's very important because we can speak the language, but we cannot write in hieroglyphics because, or you will need to memorize what means each symbol, and that's very complicated. (laughs) I have a small brain. (laughs) And we're here at the last stone. It's massive. It's the biggest one, and it's the first one you see when you enter this whole Makanchak group. Mm. And it's carved on all four sides mm. rising up before you. 
Now this stone is the stuff of mystery and intrigue, not least of which because of the dates that are listed on it. The last date is ooh, so cool. But let's start with the first date, June 29th, 672. Now she's 55 years old. And 672, that's significant because that is a date that we can firmly tie to the construction of roads mm. in Koba. And Koba is the road building empire. They go nuts. We have a lot of roads, 46 roads in Koba. It's the number one to the one to build Shkawil. It was her idea to build roads. Yes. Yes. Wow. Yes. And she she started an ancient road. She built a road with 100 kilometers. It's like 63 wow. miles long. It's the long one in all the Maya land. And there is no another road like that one. The Sakbe number one that's located in Koba. And that's connected with another ancient city. And the name of that place, it's uh, Yakshuna. I didn't really comprehend how much the rainforest wants to kill me until <laughs> I entered the rainforest. Mm. Like, genuinely frightening yeah. and so dense. And if you were trying to travel across the rainforest of the Yucatan, mm. if there's no path, you're not getting through without getting bit by something poisonous. Like, it is a really terrifying place. Yes. And the roads are raised up, aren't they? That's that correct. High? Why? That's correct. That's uh, because the kind of the land. Let me read to you from the Koba guidebook a description of the wildlife in and around Koba that you would be dealing with on a daily basis. All right. Deer, badger, armadillo, mountain hog, skunk, various types of snakes, <laughs> many species of birds, or it was still common to see the occasional jaguar. Wow. <laughs> Not yeah. to mention all the spiders. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Scorpions. Yeah. Uh, when we were camping there, a giant scorpion just yeah. skittered across the bottom of my tent. <laughs> Yeah, we were a little bit south of there, but a giant black tarantula-sized spider twice yeah. decided to make its home in my son's duffel bag. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so if you're going to build a road across all that, yeah, how no, are you going to do it? Yeah, that's starting to make sense why the road is so wide, because you have yeah. to keep the animals at bay. So... Do you have any, like, engineering ideas for how are you going to engineer your way through the rainforest and build a 63-mile road? Yeah. Um, uh, there's a lot of cutting down of very large trees going on. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. But you don't have the wheel. Yeah. You don't have any <gasps> machinery. You don't even have metal. Wow. What are you uh, going to do? Uh, well, flint axes, I guess. Yeah. An obsidian from... Yeah. Or you burn stuff down. Oh, uh, yeah. And actually, that kind of kills two birds with one stone. If you burn the stuff Literally. down. Because, yeah, because <laughs> you got to burn the, the uh, limestone in order to create lime plaster, which is what they used to pave the road. Oh. So here's what's so amazing about it. So it goes 62 miles inland 
and it's, it covers undulating, extremely uneven rainforest. And there's a flooding problem. In the rain season, parts of the city can flood, as we saw the yes. parking lot. Oh, that's normal? The that, parking lot was underwater uh, when we got there. Every year, actually. So, but people now, they didn't know that and they built the houses close to the lagoon. Oops. It was a bad idea, but <laughs> they did that. That's why we have the problem now. The lagoons all around were populated by crocodiles. Yeah. <laughs> but they know that, the Mayans, they know that. That's why they built the road with the elevation. Yes. Wow. So she built an elevated road, like way elevated. <laughs> wow. They could adjust the height of it to the ground underneath. So sometimes the road is like 30 inches high. Uh, sometimes it's 19 feet high. Wow. And they just fill it in. They build sidewalls with stones. They fill <sighs> it in with rubble. They put smaller rubble on top of that rubble. Just by hands, just with the people carrying the stones. Um, they use the mortar for to glue the rocks, and we know the mortar was made with water, saskap. This material it's look like a sand, saskap. Saskap is a Maya word. So and they use it also the ash of the limestone. But when they mix the three things, they make a concrete. That's how do they build the roads. That's the way how do they build the temples and the other constructions. The same technique. And of course, just with peoples, without the animals. And they, we know they didn't use uh, the horses, donkeys, because they didn't have it. The Spanish peoples, they brought the horses here mm-hmm. in, in South America. And then they paved the whole thing with just like Tons and tons and tons of brilliant white lime plaster that they wow. made from the surrounding limestone. Incredible! That's why would that's so I know. weird. I know. And on average, it's thirty-two feet wide. Wow! <laughs> what an engineering project! And why Especially... do you need it to be perfectly smooth if you don't have yeah. a wheel? Exactly. Like they had wheels, we just have not figured it out. It really seems like it. Like, why would you have such wide, smooth, paved roads if you're not pulling carts along them? But so all we can say is that people walked along it and carried stuff in baskets on their backs. Yeah. Well, one of the possible reasons is they think that, so it's elevated, so the animals can't get you you as you're walking along it. But also it is bright white and... That enables you to travel at night. Oh. At night, the, the moonlight, the light of the stars, they're just going to um, reflect the road. They're going to make shine, to, to shine the road. Yeah, that's the reason. And they use the road just at night, not, not in the day, because it's very oh. hot and very humid. It's complicated to transport something on the back. More if you will have to walk 20 or 20, uh, 15 kilometers. Wow. It's the average uh, sides where the people can walk. 
during the sunsets to the sunrise. Hmm. So they that's why it's called a sakbe. Sakbe means white road. Hmm. And they built a whole network of them all over the kingdom of Koba connecting these places. Wow. Do we know how long it took to build the roads? The theory it was almost four generations. Okay. So almost 200 years. So why did she build it? Yeah. And is this a gesture of control? Is this a like symbol of power or is this like trying to connect people? Mm. Our only clues are here we're looking at this giant stela here. She's on the front. She is again pictured stomping on her enemies. <laughs> you can see the poor sad souls underneath her feet. She's always stomping on her enemies, looking very fierce. In one of them, she actually is wearing a belt with jade masks. Only warriors wear those, and she's got one on. Mm. So people look at that and they go, okay, we got a fierce warrior queen, and she built all these roads. So she must have built these roads to conquer people. Mm. Um, the very first person to discover Sakbe 1, this road, we call it the first road in the Americas. Mm. It was first discovered by... Alfonso Villarrojas. He did an investigation of the road, 1964. He walked on the road, just seeing peoples, local peoples, just with a machete, mm. making paths inside of the jungle. And that's why he said the road is flat and straight. He walked down it and just... Down it. With, with the machete. With the machete. <gasps> it took wow. a lot of days yeah. just for to get the end and the end of the road. To me, having stood on it, that's absolutely terrifying because now it's swallowed up by the jungle again. Yeah. There's just trees growing out of the middle of it. There's wildlife everywhere. And he just took his machete and he just walked the whole length of it to find out where it went. Wow. And he said, hey, there's a huge road here and it's smooth and straight. And uh, everybody went conquering. Koba was using this to conquer the inland. But lately, the latest news is a LIDAR scan. Yeah. And they, using LIDAR, they attempted to map the whole of the road and any settlements along the road. They found like 800 settlements <laughs> all along this road. They found it, the remains of the houses, every 20, 15 kilometers. Huh. And he said in his book, it was maybe like, where they can take a rest, uh-huh. drink water, they can eat something. Later they will continue. And they have now found that it is not just smooth and straight. It actually weaves and winds, connecting all kinds of pre-existing little villages. Wow. So to me, that doesn't sound like conquering. No, that sounds like trade or togetherness. (laughs) I've just been recently watching this documentary about transportation equity. Mm. and how important bus routes are for Mm -hmm. underserved populations and how they need to be able to have access to the world. I had just watched that when I started researching this episode, and so I can't help but connect those two in my mind. Like, I'm looking at Shkawil and saying, transportation equity, look at her. (laughs) No matter how tiny the village is, she's building you a road. Yeah. (laughs) Could be. Or she could be trying to smash them into the ground and she builds herself a road to get there and destroy them. No, because that takes way too long. I mean, there's a reason why you don't build a road to go invade. 
they notice you as ah. you are slowly, laboriously building a road for years and years <laughs> and years. Yeah. You know, this is not a fast-moving invasion. This is... No. You're negotiating this or you have already conquered and you're connecting. Yeah. And, like, if you're conquering, do you care about the tiny villages? You no. You just feel like you would just go to the big cities and you ignore the tiny ones. No, yeah. So... I think what we have here is an incredibly powerful, intellectual queen building a female-dominated, enlightened kingdom of equity going up against the evil snake kings of the South and fighting for uh, all, all the right causes. Agreed. <laughs> She's the best. Yes, that's how it goes. And that is our expert opinion. <laughs> now turn to this other side of Vistila and you can see the date of her death. Hmm. August 28th, 682. She was 65 years old. Wow. To a ripe old age. And as I said, when she died, Koba, that's one of the most powerful kingdoms in the whole history of mm. the Mayan world. But afterwards, predictably, it all fell apart. Of course. Koba lost this epic righteous battle for equity that we're imagining in our heads. <laughs> Whatever it was she was fighting for, after she died, Koba fell and decayed and, mm. and that's the end of its golden age. But that's not the last date on this stila. Look here, down here. This one has been the subject of much intrigue and conspiracy theory and thrilling speculation <laughs> because it reads December 12th, 2012. <gasps> oh, this is where that comes from. Yes, this ah. bizarre future date. Why did she put that? On her stone, what on earth wow. is going on? The end of the calendars was interpreted in the, like the end of the world, December 21st, 2012. Yeah. So on this group, in Makanshok, it was founded the Stella to talk about Shkawil, as well the Stella to talk about the end of the Maya calendars. Well, she was projecting something into the future. Yeah. And marking that date... But we don't know what, because we can't read it. It's so we wrote it. Wow. Was she going to come back? Who was born December 12th, 2012? Is she reborn somewhere else? Yeah. What's the deal? <laughs> cool. You can go to Koba and stand on Sok Bay 1. It was incredibly exciting, but hmm. it took us a long time to find it. And we were like, are we on the road or not? <laughs> um, like, you can't really tell because it's in such ruins. Yeah. Um, but it's still there. And LIDAR tells us there's so much more to be uncovered. They are excavating as we speak all along Sok Bay 1. Cool. But that road and these monuments in this Makanchak group, it tells me that she was trying to be remembered. She was mm. trying to tell her story down the centuries and say, this is who we are. 
and tell an alternative story to the story we're getting everywhere else in Mayan archaeology. Cool. So even though we're a little late, Shka Wheel, we're here. We got it. <laughs> we're piecing together your story again. That's awesome. Thanks a Thank lot you. for your visit. Thank place. you. It was nice to meet you. I was so grateful to be your tour guide. Special thanks to our guide, Ezequiel Mai Ascora. If you visit Koba, definitely seek him out. You can find lots of photos from my visit, plus academic articles and book recommendations on our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. Music for this episode was recorded by Amulets, Elephant, Dan Bodan, Joey Pecoraro, and Kinkas Moriera. Would you like to travel with What's Her Name? This September, we are taking our first ever What's Her Name tour of England, where we will visit the sites and meet the scholars featured in What's Her Name episodes. You can see the itinerary and find out more on the tours section of our website, whatshernamepodcast.com. Our theme song was composed and performed by Daniel Foster Smith. We are so grateful for all of our patrons. You can become a patron for as little as a buck a month to help make more episodes happen. And participating at different levels gets you rewards like subversive cross-stitch patterns, trading cards, and more. Thanks for donating. Thanks for listening. Registration is now open on What's Your Name's Yucatan Tour 2024. Join us in Mexico as we walk in the footsteps of Zazel Ha, learn traditional Mayan cooking, tour Mayan ruins, snorkel with sea turtles, and so many more off-the-beaten-track adventures with our wonderful little band of kindred spirits. Spots are going fast, so sign up now on our website at whatsyournamepodcast.com. We can't wait to see you there.